promoting female musicians and artists. Today, I'm very happy to say I'm joined by Imi, who has sung on many, many projects as a backup <laughs> singer. Uh-huh. Is currently experiencing a little bit of airplane noise because we're in Sydney. Uh, but very excitingly, she has just released uh, the first tune under her new project called Imi. So, Imi, thank you so much for joining me on Women Who Rock. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for having me. I can't tell you how stoked and honoured I am to be included in this list, truly. Well, I mean, it's great to have you as part of the Women Who Rock alumni. Uh, you've <laughs> sung with multiple other people, so it's good to have you on board. And the first thing I want to say is congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. The, the very, very recent release of the first track under this project called yes, Jimmy. so recent, under a week. Yeah. It's a newborn. Uh, it's a newborn. We're going to hear the first track from this project um, shortly in the podcast. Uh, but first, I want to talk about the idea that you have been, you've worked as a backup singer on so many projects over a number of years. Yeah. And this is, this is our first taste of the solo project Emmy. So I wanted to know what was the catalyst for going from doing a lot of work as a backup singer to starting your own new project and releasing new music? You know what? I don't know. I guess I I should have thought through this journey a bit, but it never really occurred to me to do something solo because I absolutely love being a backup singer. I'm very proud of it. I think that it's a very particular skill set that you need that's different to being a front woman. Um, in that, you know, you have to be really adaptable to, you know, whatever genre it might be, you're changing your tone, you're finding harmonies on the fly, you're, you know, you're not the diva, you've got to, you've got to fit and be one of the instruments. And um, I absolutely love that role. And I've done it for a long time. And yeah, a, a friend of ours, Harry Sutherland, who is a genius, truly, he we kind of got together and wrote a song once and I performed it at one of his shows under Australian athlete is what he goes by. And a friend of mine who's in my band, Vince, who goes by 18 year old man, he's a brilliant artist and producer. He said something to me afterwards, which was like, that was so great. Let's, you should make something. And I guess it just hadn't really occurred to me. And I thought, yeah, why the hell not? You know, it'd be, it'd be fun, you know, not as like a, I'm going solo everyone. I'm I'm leaving <laughs> I'm leaving the bands behind, but just as a bit of a project, maybe even as a once-off project to give that a go. So, I guess that's that's how it began and I am very fortunate to be surrounded by these really incredible musos who believe in me and wanted to help me to create some songs of my own. So, it's really not a solo journey in honesty there's still a team. <laughs> mm. But um, yeah, I guess I guess that's how the, the seed was planted, really. That's a really interesting idea of the concept of a backup singer being like an, another instrument. Mm. I never really thought about it that way before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think for a long time, I considered myself, you know, just 
I don't know, just a bit decorative on stage vocally and as well, you know, like being the only woman in a lot of these bands, um, which I didn't like and I didn't believe in for women really. But then I watched, this is probably a tale many people have told, but then I watched this documentary, 20 Feet from Stardom, which, have you seen it? Have you seen no, that documentary? No. Oh, Matt, write it down. It's okay. basically, <laughs> it's about these all these incredible backup singers through the ages and how they carry a lot of these hugely famous songs that we all love. And the parts that we're all singing are the backup singers' parts, you know, and then the front man or woman can just, like, noodle over the top of it and and be a star and be a diva and do whatever. But the backup singers are really holding it all together and it follows the journey of some of these really iconic singers who are, are completely anonymous, they're completely unknown, but they've sung on the greatest songs of all time. And I felt so validated watching that and thinking like, hell yeah, like my my role in these groups um, is really important. And I became really proud of it and it gave me a huge boost of confidence. Um, and I began to kind of own the role a bit more, I guess, and and also educate people on how important BVs are, backing vocals. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've already kind of changed the way that I thought about the concept of it's another kind of instrument in the band. Yeah. And yeah. I think you're right. I mean, often it is, it's the melody that the backup singer is singing is the is what you hum when you think of that song. Right, right, yeah. And these are these are voices you may recognise but you can't attach a name to them at all. And there's something cool about that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, I don't know about, fame or being famous but I wonder if that's the best kind of fame um you know what it certainly appeals to me um where you're kind of like you've got the product that you're attached to but you don't have to compromise your person you know or like your lifestyle Mm. like there's I can't really remember the song I think it was a Pink Floyd song that this one woman sung on and she was just like down in the grocery store you know in whatever whatever year it was and groceries and then she sort of her ears pricked up she was like oh that's me on this track in the radio like in the in the supermarket and everyone was like what no it's not this is pink floyd and she's like no no that's me and then she just got about her day like feeling proud as punch i just i think that's cool i'm really into that you know you can maintain um, your dignity and your privacy i guess sure it made me think of i saw an interview with daniel radcliffe Mm -hmm. and i promise there's a link here um, <laughs> don't worry about it let's just talk about him <laughs> well he did an interview I uh I can't remember who it was with but uh it was like a, sh- a rapid fire kind of he had to do like 50 questions in uh, five minutes or whatever yeah and one of the questions was like uh what do you like deeply desire and his initial uh like you know non-thinking response was to yeah. live a day not being famous yeah, yeah, gosh, like I've, you've like certainly heard that before from a lot of people, mm. you know. I mean, I think that's, we're talking about this sort of abstractly. It's certainly not, I'm not famous and nor are, you know, like the, the projects I sing on are, you know, all of these friends and local things. No one's famous per se, but I think at the end of the day, I just love to sing. I love singing and any opportunity to do that is fine by me and I don't need to be the star because of it you know I don't mean to be sounding so self-deprecating I'm very proud of the stuff I do but 
you know what I mean. Like I'm, I'm stoked about the music that I'm involved in. Uh, well, speaking of these projects, I mean, you've been working on a very wide range of projects. Um, you've worked with Women Who Rock alumni, Caitlin Harnett. You've sung for Lady Lion, Joseph Liddy and the Skeleton Horse. It's a really kind of wide range of projects uh, which are really operating in a wide range of genres. So I'm really interested to know if this Emmy sort of solo new project, whether you have like a particular sound in mind for that. Yeah, that's that's a question that's really plagued me um, in trying to understand what my sound might be after trying to be versatile and that being part of the way I sing and then trying to come to terms with what I actually might sound like and what what I have come to accept is that potentially the the body of work that I create in the end, which may only be an EP, you know, it may just be a collection of singles, I don't know, but they may all be quite different and the only um, sort of joining thread be my voice on it, you know, like it, it might um, it might be the cheesy Italian ballad that I just released last week and then the next song might be um, a 90s R&B um, <laughs> kind of nasty dance hit. So, right. um, <laughs> which, you know, maybe that is just what I sound like or maybe this whole process I'll be able to uncover um, something a little more concise. Who knows? But I'm not bothered by it anymore. I think I'm into it, the mixtape idea. Okay. Yeah. Maybe if you have an eclectic interest or a wide-ranging um, interest in different genres, then that's what the sound is. It kind yeah. of reflects reflects what you like and what you what you want to create. Yeah, and I mean, look, I can like as much stuff as I want, but that doesn't mean that my ability to create something is is matched. You know, like I I may have an idea of what I want to sound like, but what I can actually produce may be completely different, and that's just going to be what it is. Mm. And you, you know, as an artist, you just have to be down with that, I guess, and accept it. Well, so far we have a sample size of one because <laughs> yeah. there's been one track uh, just released called Mezza Luna. I think you described it as cheesy Italian pop. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've got written down operatic pop, but... Uh, yeah, it's a ballad. Uh, it's a ballad. You can say it. It's all good. It's, it's um, <laughs> an interesting choice. I think it's quite different to a lot of the sort of projects and bands that we mentioned before. Yeah. So how did you, if we're going to have an eclectic mixtape, why <laughs> is this ballad the first choice? Well, this to me, this, this came about because um, the guy that I wrote it with, his name is Andy Campbell, and he is um, a band called The Good Boys. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're brilliant. They're one of my favourite Sydney bands. Um, And he also plays guitar in my other band, Joseph Liddy and the Skeleton Horse, and features in a bunch of the other bands because we're all friends and everyone just borrows each other. Mm. Um, But he is a really brilliant songwriter and I call him the timeless melody generator because I don't know how he does it, but (laughs) he comes up with these, these really satisfying songs that go exactly where you want them to go without it being sort of boring or predictable and I wrote Mezzaluna with him and how that worked is that I I sang the melody to him that I had come up with and then he just kind of magically found the chords around it and um, kind of composed the rest of the stuff in the background and he's yeah I can't sing his praises enough he's 
brilliant. And to me, this this song sounds like Immy sings The Good Boys because he writes these kind of um, cinematic tunes and it's just got my voice on it. So right. to me, it's just like this perfect combo of both of our um, styles, I think. <laughs> well, on the topic of melody, I was definitely, uh, before we started uh, the chat, I was kind of humming the backing vocals of this track. <laughs> That's uh, great. On repeat. So I think <laughs> the best course of action now would be to listen to the song. Yes, let's do it. So we're going to hear a very fresh new track, the first uh, single from the Project Imi. It is called uh, Meza Luna.
The track we just heard was Mezza Luna from the very new solo project uh, from Imi. Now, I have to confess, I haven't done a thorough analysis of the lyrics because <laughs> it's in Italian. It is. So I'm interested to to hear about that choice of having the first track uh, not in English. Um, it look, it's a bit of a funny story. Uh, I have a friend, uh, Chris, whose um, artist name is Timberwolf, and he has um, a brilliant voice. And he and I were chatting one night. We're like, let's sing something together. Wouldn't that be so great? And then one of us were like, let's do it in Italian because we both have kind of links to Italy I speak a bit of Italian because I lived there once and my sister lives there now and he has Italian in his background and so we're like that would be so great let's do you know this Italian song and we're like what will we write about we're like we'll write about his partner Brie who's one of my closest friends um and she's also an amazing artist Brie Trantar she's from the Middle East and like the Matt Corby project and all of those ongoing links and um like that'd be great let's do a love song to Brie in Italian and thought that was so cute and hilarious and then um Chris kind of got so busy with his new project Siberian Tiger and so I just was like writing this love song to this girlfriend of mine in Italian without kind of the (laughs) context of having Chris involved but thank god he jumped on board at the last minute and his vocals are in the song as well which is great so we could present her with this with this gift um Mezza well, my Luna. Next, yes my next question is does Brie speak Italian she doesn't <laughs> <laughs> that's the gag no she um <laughs> she was handed when we when we showed her the song she was handed a translation of the lyrics and she cried like a little baby it was, okay it was perfect <laughs> job done I guess <laughs> yeah nailed it made my friend cry that's that's really what I'm out to do well it's released into the world now yes finally it's done so i mean you would have been through a lot of processes i know i mean there's a lot of stuff on bandcamp that you have sung on but i guess you've been a background singer for all of those projects yeah now that you have something out uh something tangible on bandcamp under imi how does that feel and how does that feeling compare to doing backing vocals on a new track that's just released? Yeah, well, um, I was talking to Andy, who I wrote the song with today, about this actually, and I was trying to um, sort of look at my behaviour and work out what was going on with me because one one huge difference is that usually when I'm attached to a project of someone else's, with someone else's name on it, um, I, I feel so free to boast about it and I do and like I tell everyone how incredible you know their work is and how stoked I am to be a part of it um like my my brother-in-law Jordan Island he has this group called Jordan Island and the Purple Orchestra there's another plane going overhead just let me know if you need me to <laughs> talk louder or something no we're good it's we're just good. the, Mar- the Marrickville effect it is. <laughs> yeah um <laughs> And, you know, when he released his album, I couldn't stop telling people about it and encouraging them to listen to it. You know, even though my vocals are on there, there's sort of a bit of a detached way that you can view these things and you can really pump up the person whose name is attached to it. You know, I feel so proud of it. And I I think I've been really overwhelmed by the response 
um, that Mezza Luna has had, even just sort of amongst my small music community, it's it's been a bit overwhelming and I have found myself being a total weirdo, um, you know, just like a real silly sausage in how I've like responded to people. It's made me a little bit uncomfortable and I, I haven't been sure where to like direct the the accolades. So I just mm. keep telling everyone that it's Andy's song. But um <laughs> I'm uh, you know it's it's awesome. It's a sweet song. It's just it does feel different. I feel um I don't know, shy. I'm not shy. If you were to meet me you'd know that, but I I feel a little bit uncomfortable and overwhelmed, but I'm I'm really really grateful and really happy about this release. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. When yeah, I mean there is definitely there's a different psychology about being attached to something and then all being the leader of a project. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was preparing for this interview and yeah. I kind of was trying to think about you transitioning from backing vocals to a solo project, it kind of made me think about science. Oh yeah, how so? Because uh, I guess the way that science publications work is that you'll have a team of people working on the publication, but there'll be maybe 10 people, but one person will be the first author. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think that I'm realising that it's a lot easier to be not yeah. the first author Yeah. Mm-hmm. because there's a responsibility. There, there's certainly more accolades attached, but there's also kind of like a responsibility attached to it in that this is like it becomes your paper. And yeah, so, big time. Um, and an expectation. Hmm. I don't know who you are and and how you respond and then what's to come next. There's a lot more that that goes with it, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't didn't want to bring like a negative connotation to releasing something yourself, but I was interested to hear if you think is there kind of, is there a weight? Yeah, I think there's a weight. I mean, that's an interesting word. I, I don't know if it's. A weight, I guess, reminds me of like a the word burden, and I wouldn't I wouldn't describe it like that. I think, um, look, it's an appropriate amount of um, humility, maybe, and it's it's it feels like on your birthday, you know, when everyone messages you like happy birthday, like what do you write back to that? Like thanks, yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks, and, smiley face. <laughs> yeah, and I guess like people are projecting. A response that they want you to have not on your birthday around you know this kind of thing which is like like woohoo it's amazing I'm celebrating and I, I feel like a legend and in some ways you know I do feel like that I feel relieved and excited and you know but at the same time it's coupled with um yeah nerves some sort of hesitation I don't know what the word is but it's um it's not completely freeing you know, it's it comes with something, expectation mm. or responsibility. That was a good word used before. Maybe that's it. Um, you know, the interesting thing is that if it was one of your close friends who had a solo project and they just released their first track, oh my God. it would totally be you the one who was sending oh, them the message it, about, you know, great work. It's me, 100%. You wouldn't be able to shut me up about it. And like, <laughs> when I think about the list of these people that I've played with, like I can't believe that I can attach to these artists they're some of the best singers and songwriters in Australia I really believe that you know and 
I say that so freely, but I wouldn't really know how to describe what I'm doing here, except that, you know, maybe just doing my best and it's good. Mm. It's enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're certainly looking forward to the next offering from the Emmy Project. Thank you. Time for Tell Me a Thing, where I have a list of seven topics and I ask you to choose one of them and tell us about it. Uh, So the topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, poetry, Patti Smith, punk rock, death and politics. So, Imi, can you please tell us a thing? So, yes, the thing that jumped out to me was death. And to be honest, I barely looked at the other words because it, death is quite a big theme in my life. Um, since losing my mum five years ago, it has really dictated a lot of um, who I am and the decisions I make and how I get around my world. It changed me in a really big way. I don't know for the best or not, but in a profound way, I guess. So I couldn't not choose the word death, I guess. It was too obvious to me. (laughs) And I don't know, I I don't have anything prepared, but I did think of, because we're on this, you know, this musical podcast, I did think of that. Did you see that um, documentary that Nick Cave made called One More Time with Feeling? No. See that? He um, he made it, uh, it was pretty soon after his son passed away actually and um it was it was also like the making of um an album that what's it called oh the skeleton tree I think yeah yeah the one from is it 2016 or 2016? Yeah, 2016 it was the aftermath of the death of his son Arthur I think yeah and it's like dark for a Nick Cave album yeah. which is saying something yeah totally it really really is and this documentary is the process of making it um and I guess it comes to mind while we're talking about death because not just because it's a matching theme but because I I found that he articulated really beautifully a lot of things that I couldn't at the time. It was very close to when my mum passed away. So um, I found that a lot of people would say things to me that didn't quite fit and they were just kind of these you know, these expressions, these condolences that you give to people um, and they didn't really fit me at all and I couldn't really find, um, look, you you can't liken any death to any other death, but I did find that he articulated some things and he used some metaphors that really assisted me to explain the process, I guess, of what, okay. of what I experienced. Yeah, and I... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that the, the grieving process is, is, as you mentioned, very individual. So yeah. it's good that you can have have sort of resonance with with someone else's processing of those same kind of feelings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like no one can ever liken a, a death with another death because 
the person is an individual person and they mean different things to different people and the relationships are all different and you know like one process never looks the same as someone else's but we kind of we don't deal with death very well in our culture I I don't think we're kind of scared of it and um I found that people maybe acted scared of me a little bit because it was such a big thing you know and a big tragedy and you don't know the right thing to say and you don't know how to manage that person, you know, being rocked like that. Um, and, yeah, I don't know what it was, but I found some comfort in in that documentary for some reason. Yeah. It really moved me. Yeah. It's a pretty, must have been a pretty full-on thing for him to do, to allow people into that. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, it's not, maybe it is a beautiful process, but it's also really undoing and ugly a lot of the time too. Yeah, I guess not off-brand for the, the Nick Cave aspect. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And he is, he is a poet at the end of the day, I guess. Mm. Um, and so he, you know, he has that way with words, but it didn't feel contrived, you know, to me anyway. Mm. <laughs> well, Amy, thank you so much for sharing your story for releasing the new music from the new project and coming on the podcast to tell us all about it. I really had a great time and I appreciate your time. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of 2SER 107.3.